The Kaplan Community Podcast is a platform for the wider Kaplan community to share ideas and insights that can guide us on our professional and academic development. It's easy to listen to, but tackle some hard-hitting issues. And we think it's a great way to appreciate diverse perspectives on life, learning, and careers. Hi, I'm Andy Garnham. I look after the people and culture, facilities, and health and safety teams here at Kaplan, Australia, and New Zealand. To launch season two of the Kaplan Community Podcast, we'll be starting a short series on the important issues of mental well-being and mental health as they relate to the Kaplan community, its students, alumni, and staff. And we're lucky enough to have a very special guest. Andy Garnham is the Executive Director of People and Culture at Kaplan Australia and New Zealand. So that's spanning Kaplan Business School, Kaplan Professional, and several important pathway organizations. Andy, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? Kieran, thank you very much to you and Richard for having me. It's great to be here today to have a chat to you. And I think it's a really important issue. You mentioned uh, some of the resources that we do have, or or we've talked about EAP and, and counselling. Could you expand on that a bit, or perhaps what should I do if I'm an employee and I feel like I could use help? Sure. So there's, num- uh, I guess, a number of avenues. One really important, probably, I think, really exciting and new concept is Sonda, which is uh, an app that our students can access for free and our staff can access for free, which, you know, every time I talk to particularly Alex Raymond Clark in KBS about it, I couldn't wrap my head around it first because it seemed to be like, what can't, what can't Sonda do? You know, they, they seem to be able to do everything. And the more I've used it myself and looked into it, it is a fantastic first avenue for people to access if they're feeling vulnerable, if they're feeling under threat, if they're not sure on particularly our international students, you know, not sure on what's right or wrong, or if somebody, you know, somebody's saying potentially they're a policeman and that they need to do this and that. Is this, is that how I need to respond in Australia? Is that the right or wrong thing? It gives them access to, to support and help pretty much at their fingertips. You know, they can get medical treatment, organized through Sonda, they can get the police or medical services sent out to them straight away. If they're in a vulnerable situation, you know, walking home late at night and feeling uncertain, they can have Sonda track their movements and make sure that they're going to where they say they were going. And if they don't, to, to contact them and check in on them. So that's one fantastic, I think, way to access access support. But more, I guess, generally and day-to-day as well, if if it's a staff member or a student, I think it's talking to someone first and foremost. You know, for our students, they have their teachers and academic staff that may not all, always have the, the, the right answers or may not have the answers that they think that student needs, but will always be able to still point them in the right direction. We've got our student experience teams that can point them in the right direction. They can get access, staff and students, directly to EAP through accessing LifeWorks, you know, calling someone so they don't even need to talk to somebody at Kaplan if they don't feel that's the way. And also from a staff perspective, that the HR team are always there as well and the health and safety team. Andy, you've mentioned the Sonder app and 
how it helps when we're not on campus or not at work about just asking for help of how to respond or what we should do in a situation. And then on campus or at work, talking to someone, whether it's via the employee assistance program or for staff or uh, for counselors for students. But now we're facing COVID and, and social isolation. So I'm curious, how do you manage good mental well-being in yourself? Yeah, sure. And um, look, it's it's up and down for me, like I'm sure it is for everyone. So by no means is it perfect, but I, I do try and keep a balance of things. So particularly my health and exercise. So when I'm outside of lockdown, I definitely like to go to the gym every morning and I can't do that at the moment. So I really take the opportunity at least once or twice a day to get out with my dogs, get some fresh air and just actually get away from the computer screen, get away from the room and have a change of scene. All the things that I probably try and do in day-to-day life, to be honest, Richard, as well. So try and eat as well as I can, although um, I have to admit during lockdown, I tend to, uh, to treat myself a little bit more than I normally would. And definitely, uh, you know, from a sleep perspective, I really focus on getting my, my eight hours, which I know is what I need to, um, to feel refreshed and sort of energised. And often from, I guess, day-to-day perspective working, you know, it's different when you're working in front of a computer screen in a bedroom compared to being in the office. So I do try and get up a lot throughout the day, move around, talk to my dogs or my partner and just sort of, again, sort of reset, change scene as you would in the office or, or, you know, on campus in a school if you're working and you're not doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I found that to be one of the tough parts, actually, is the division between work and home life, that that reset. I think that's well put. Just for our listeners, also, um, perhaps those who don't work at Kaplan, would you give a bit of background on what your role is at, at Kaplan Australia, New Zealand? Yeah, sure, Karen. So as you mentioned, my title, which is not necessarily the same as what you do day to day, but my title is Executive Director People and Culture. From a Kaplan Australia New Zealand perspective, I look after people and culture and that team. Uh, I also look after the administration and facilities team and the health and safety team, which is now two people, so we can call them a team. So so a broad, broad remit, but it actually works really well together with facilities, human resources and health and safety, and particularly in the last year or so with COVID and the pandemic you know, health and safety and how we can use our facilities, our campuses and our schools is as much of a kind of facilities issue as it is an an HR issue and and a health and safety issue. So we, we work all really well together, but have our sort of separate remits within my team. And and so you oversee pretty diverse, a wide ranging departments and, and disciplines, what would you say then, and I don't know if this is just pertaining to human resources, but what would you say is the responsibility towards well-being and mental health? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a shared responsibility overall, which is probably a, a little bit to what you're alluding to there, Kieran. But from a you know an HR perspective, health and well-being is sort of one element of, I guess, the employee or the student life cycle. So for us in HR, our focus is really 
supporting and guiding our people leaders and having the right processes in place to help throughout that life cycle. So as, you know, employees are coming on board, as they're learning, changing roles, you know, going through performance management, whether that's, you know, growth in performance or performance that isn't going so so well. So along that journey and through that life cycle, the health and well-being piece is is an element that sit you know sits into all of it, or probably you could say underlines it. So really, how we interrelate, how we support our staff, we need to have well-being, or um, as you talked about earlier, compassion as well as as our focus. I'm proud of the compassion we have for all of our staff and students. And it relies on our ability to ask a very simple question along the lines of, are you okay? But when I ask that question, I'm really nervous that someone will give me a really truthful answer that I don't know how to respond to. For example, periodically when I'm feeling anxious or someone says, oh, Richard, are you okay? Deep down inside, I know I'm not okay, but I feel self-conscious that someone has noticed or maybe singling me out. So I'm asking for your advice. When trying to be compassionate, what's the best way to ask someone if they're feeling okay? <laughs> I think you're, the way you're feeling about that, Richard, is probably very universal and very common. I don't think any of us necessarily feel really comfortable, and maybe it's part of the human condition. I don't know, but you know, our probably first defense is to is to say, "Yep, I'm fine. Nothing to worry about. You know, nothing to see here." And again, for me, you know, in my role, it it doesn't always come easy, but I think the first thing I think about is just trying to be authentic about it and ask the question and not be afraid to do, say, or act in the wrong way. Because really, if you're coming from a place of compassion, if you're genuinely concerned or worried, you know, how somebody responds to you with that, you can't control, but asking the question you can control. I think in terms of how we then deal with the response, you know, it is different in every situation. And I think we are, I would say, lucky here at Kaplan in that we've got a lot of resources available at our hands so that we don't actually have to be the expert. It may be that you're compassionate in the moment that you're saying to someone, wow, that sounds like a really tough time. Have you thought about contacting the employee assistance program or have you thought about talking to the counselling team and seeing what options they might have for you and actually guiding people I guess to expertise and not feeling like you actually have to have all the answers because you don't have them and I don't have them but but somebody will. I guess the first thing for me to do is get over the lack of confidence that I might hurt somebody else and instead I can see how to act from a position of compassion for others. So it's a good point, Andy. So my next question is, what if a person is going to decide to seek counseling services? What are some of the things that they might be feeling? What kinds of things might they be able to talk about with a counselor or EAP? It's wide ranging, to be honest. And probably first and foremost, I should put the disclaimer in the EAP and our counselling services that are on site are all confidential. So, you know, the counsellors have have a first and important, I suppose, role in the keeping keeping that student or that employee's issues confidential. 
in terms of what they could be speaking about, it could be a range of things. So, you know, from a student or a staff perspective, it might be somebody's struggling and not quite sure why. You know, maybe their their grades are going down or they're not feeling as um, engaged in their work, etc. It might be more, I suppose, in your face in terms of <laughs> what the issues could be. You know, somebody might be struggling with an addiction, with gambling, it could be financial issues, they might be having domestic violence issues. So it could be a whole range of things. And I guess for me, the probably the important part of the counselling service is that it doesn't have to seem like a big issue that our staff and students need to talk to a counsellor about. It could be something that maybe maybe they think is small and not worthy of talking to a counsellor about, but if they start that process early on and I guess there's an early intervention, that that could potentially help their well-being and help help the outcome longer term. So it, it's true Kaplan does have resources and, and the EAP counselling for, for staff and from an HR perspective or, or people in culture, what are the challenges or key things to focus on when you're setting up a mental health plan for staff, when you're sort of strategically looking at how do we protect or or serve our staff? Yeah, sure. So I think it needs to have a number of factors. So it's never going to be a one size fits all. You know, some people won't feel confident about going to counselling, no matter what we say, you know, that, you know, it, it's up to the individual at the end of the day. So for us and the approach we've taken at Kaplan is to try and build on what we've got and to try and better that. So, uh, you know, we started off, when you think about our journey, we started off with EAP, which lots of organisations have for their staff. And often it's kind of, you know, banner on the bottom of a um, sort of internet page somewhere. There's, there's the EAP, call them if you need them. We then built on that as our student co- cohort grew and understood that Really, we needed to start engaging face-to-face and having counsellors on the ground that kind of, I guess, more aligned and more in tune with the day-to-day student issues. So adding that element in. We try and communicate quite a bit here at Kaplan. And I know there's, you know, particularly from me, as you guys would see, a lot of communication out about a lot of things, but we do always try and include that sort of counselling, wellbeing, EAP message in the communications that we do. We've also moved, particularly when we moved off-site with COVID, to having resources available on SharePoint, on our intranet. So really multi-prong approach. And I suppose the fourth element there is a little bit about training. And Richard spoke, I guess, before about that uncertainty, not necessarily knowing what to do or to say. We do have mental health first aid training in place, may not have got, and I don't think it has got to our sort of academic stuff yet, but certainly our student experience and student services staff have gone through mental health first aid training to help try and equip them with some of that knowledge and some of those skills in terms of identifying mental health or wellbeing issues and then directing people the right way, I suppose. I think it was really actually important how you highlighted some of these issues that may be affecting staff. Um, So people might realise 
I'm, I'm a professional or I'm a, a student who cares about my studies and I'm not the only one who, who might have an addiction issue or might be suffering abuse. What are some of the more some of the most common things that you think people may be facing? There's a lot happening around depression, loneliness, whether it coming out of the pandemic or whether it's just through general day-to-day pace of life for people. Domestic violence issues, you know, is really important and a and a big element and probably something particularly in Australia, that in the past we haven't spoken so much about, but these days more and more people are talking about it as as an issue and being upfront that people may have that issue and may need support. And then, you know, all the other things that you just mentioned around addiction, et cetera, everybody, um, financial issues, there could, there could be a whole gamut of things, to be honest, Kieran. So, yeah, but they're probably the key ones for me. Well, I appreciate your answer and, and the honesty as well. That, that does make a lot of sense. But I think the important message or, or what I derived was that, you know, whatever you might be facing, there is an avenue for support and you should definitely reach out. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, you know, our, our counsellors, whether they be our student counsellors on site or the EAP service, again, they may not be the experts in all of these issues, but they certainly have the skills to help navigate and guide people through those issues and also then to steer them to the appropriate professional course of action. You know, it could be to a GP or to a further counselling service that specialises in addictions or whatever the case may be. So really counselling could be for some people the first and last step or it could be the first step into a bigger and broader sort of life program to help them get through. A few months ago, I did contact the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, and I found it so easy because, number one, it was literally a phone call to set up an appointment. And then it was on to a counsellor who was really, really valuable in helping me through the issues of why I was feeling anxious. So how did I try to handle the anxiety by myself? Well, the first thing I did, I went out and bought some cookbooks and a new KitchenAid mixer. And now I laughed to myself because I became a very anxious but good cook. So anyway, I knew I had to talk to a professional person. And the EAP counselor was incredibly easy and non-judgmental. It was a really good experience and it brings me to my next question. Well, it's actually a two-part question. First, what are the trends in HR? And second, how important is technology and digitization to the future of the HR function? To go to the first part of your question, the big trends at the moment for HR really probably around future of work and digitization. And, you know, the future of work questions really potentially being pushed forward and driven more and more by COVID and the pandemic. And that encapsulates a whole heap of of work around what sort of work people are doing, where they're doing it, how they're doing it, you know, whether it's in offices or schools or campuses, working from home, or if it's a hybrid model, if they're in an office, what sort of work do they do there versus the work they do at home, all those sorts of things, which is interesting. And, you know, I don't think that, again, there's no right or um, wrong or one answer to that because every organisation, every industry is so different and so unique. 
and at a different stage within their um, strategy and life cycle. And then the second part, digitization, there's probably, you know, a whole host of like all roles, a whole host of processes that sit behind HR that can be digitized and sort of free up resources so that they can be more focused and more outwardly focused, I guess. So working with the business being available for people. So there's a big focus in digitizing those sort of processes at the moment. And again, different for every organization, you know, for us at Kaplan, we're a small HR team. We've probably done some quite constructive and economical digitization, if that makes sense. So using basic things like workflows in Word documents and DocuSign and all those sorts of things to help sort of get rid of the busy paperwork and free us up to focus more on what's in, what's most important, which is our, our students and staff. So they're the two key things. From a day-to-day perspective, wow, you know, <laughs> HR is so broad. You can be a generalist and that's tended to be my career. So generalist in HRs, my interest in being a generalist was really working with the business. So it's always businesses and people that I find interesting. Or you could be a specialist and, you know, focus on health and safety or recruitment, learning and development, employer relations. So it's, you know, it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I've been doing it for a long time. And I've worked in lots of different industries. And I, to be honest, I find that exciting as well. So, you know, working in education versus financial services or, um, you know, in product manufacturing, I've worked in all of those and in healthcare. And at the core of them, they're all different. There's different elements to what you have to do in your role day to day. But at the, at the core is always people. And it's always how, you know, how everyone works works well together, um, works effectively together to get the outcomes that the business needs to get, whether it be, as we said, healthcare, education outcomes or financial services type of outcomes. That was actually going to be my next question because Andy, <laughs> I, I looked at your LinkedIn profile before <laughs> before the interview. I was I was excited and and decided to, you know, see a bit more about you. And and it's true you've You've been in strategic and, and leadership roles in HR for a while, but but jumped around quite a bit between industries. And so I was interested to know more about that. I've worked in a few different industries myself. And, and what is the difference, do you think, in education? How might somebody pick which industry is right for them? For my own, from my own personal experience, I guess a bit of it's been driven by where geographically we're located and my partner as well in terms of that. So you might have seen if you've been doing that LinkedIn viewing that uh, I've been working in Sydney and in Melbourne across my career. So so some of that's been driven by the need to change cities based on my partner's role moving and you know not necessarily being able to continue with my job from one state to the next. But a lot of the time it's really been about interest and opportunity and challenge as well. And I probably, I'll come to your second part of the question in a moment, but for me personally, everywhere I've worked has been more about what does the business do? What are they trying to achieve? What are their values? You know, how do they work? 
and where I can see that I can, I guess, add value in that aspect. So it's that's helped me, I guess, in terms of changing changing industries and not necessarily being the expert in that industry. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are expert, HR experts within their own industry. For me, that joy of, of understanding, you know, how when I work Julux, for instance, how the product is made, you know, seeing it in a factory, understanding that sort of supply chain, then the value chain into sales and marketing, that really interests me. And then obviously the human elements of that, where people fit into all of that and and what value the humans create to that process. And same with education. I mean, Kaplan, I had, I'll, I'll admit, I hadn't really in the past ever thought about working in the education space, but I was really taken with Kaplan and the different entities within all the different businesses within Kaplan and the vast, you know, array of educational opportunities that Kaplan provides for all sorts of people, whether it be financial services people in Kaplan Professional or our international students or students um, looking to grow their English skills or even Red Marker, you know, as a, as a tech company, which, which is quite unique and different. So, you know, Kaplan really spoke to me in that way in that there were, there were so many opportunities and education at the end of the day, the sort of, our, I guess, our purpose you, you can't argue, you know, with that. Like, we're trying to make people like people's lives better in whatever sort of educational pursuit they're following with us. And you know, there's there's probably nothing greater than that, right? Making someone's life better. Second part of that, in terms of choosing industry, I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to ask on that, based on my ex, my experience, Kieran, because I've I have let the opportunities kind of take me and guide me you know, and grow. And I and have to say, all of those places I've worked, there's lots of great things that I take out of all of them. So I think it's probably, particularly someone in the start of their HR career, giving, giving wherever they are a go, learning the ropes. And you, I just guess, can generally apply those things across all sorts of industries as just being agile and learning about where you are and understanding where you are and understanding the differences between where you are and where you have been, I guess, I suppose. You know, we actually do have quite a few budding HR professionals <laughs> at KBS and, and some of them are generalists. A lot of them are specialists, as you, as you indicated, um, especially in recruitment, but say, say for the generalists and, and if we address those out there who are, who are starting out their careers, it's always good and inspiring to hear from somebody who's at a leadership or strategic level. And sometimes it seems un untenable even because it's it's far off. How would I advance to my career? How, how should I grow my career to a leadership level? It, it is true, you know, when I look back and I think it's gone pretty quickly, I have to admit, when I think my first sort of roles within HR, very administrative, you know, doing employment contracts, organising interviews, all those sorts of things. I suppose the world has changed quite a bit in the, in the last 20 years for me. But I think my yeah advice on that would be, again, to, to get in, learn and understand the sort of the basics, I guess, of HR and how they can be applied. 
But really, more importantly, if you do want to grow into a leadership role and more strategic rather than sort of tactical HR work is really try and understand the business you're in and how you can help drive that business strategy or better that business. So it doesn't matter what sort of role you're in. This is whether you're in HR or not. You know, if you're understanding what the business needs and challenges are and you're doing something to assist with that, then, you know, you've got the right attitude and skill set, I think, to grow into, into a more strategic HR role. And then from a leadership perspective in general, you know, not, not all, like, again, in other industries and other professions, not all HR people necessarily want to be leaders. So some really great HR people I know have been really happy to stay within their specialisation or work at an HR business partner level rather than, you know, an HR manager or a director level because that's where they feel they can add the most value and that's where they're they're comfortable to to be and to grow. Andy, we have really enjoyed our conversation with you. My takeaway message from our conversation is that while COVID has changed the way we connect with each other, we are still a compassionate and kind company towards both our students and staff. So thank you very much for your time today, Andy. Really happy to be part of your story. So thanks for for asking me. If you're feeling unwell or in need of help, reach out. Anyone in Australia can get immediate mental health support by calling the National Lifeline on 13 11 14. And Beyond Blue has great 24-7 support staff at 1300 22 46 36. Kaplan employees can contact HR or access free counselling. KBS students have access to free confidential campus counsellors, safety and support services such as Sonder. Reach out to your campus student experience team for friendly guidance on accessing these services. 